Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, pianist Christine Smith, and I welcome you to the show today. Now, one of my favorite aspects of this job is I get to talk with many different musicians from all aspects of the world of music. And over the past few years, a common theme keeps on coming up over and over again. And of course, it was that the pandemic has caused many difficulties for musicians, be it physically, financially, or emotionally. And lately, an interesting topic that has been coming up is the difficulty people are having in returning back to normal life, whether that comes from auditions, performing again in person, or just managing their careers. And this added stress and trouble has shown up in many different ways. In It's shown up in the practice room, it's shown up in their performances, in their confidence, and even their connection with the music that they have been before this loving and making a living out of creating. And I thought this was a really important conversation about how to start again, finding mindfulness and meaning in our careers and in our music. And so I have invited the amazing Dr. Renee Paul Gautier here to talk with me and with us about this important conversation. This is an excellent episode for any musician, even if you're not struggling, because we're going to have lots of practical advice and resources for you in mindfulness, in finding meaning, creating meaning, and finding that joy and love for music. It is my hope that we will all walk away from this conversation feeling inspired and encouraged and motivated. Dr. Renee Paul Gautier is a certified high performance and life coach for musicians, helping clients in performing with confidence, winning auditions, and creating meaningful careers. An active performer herself, Dr. Gautier plays with some of Chicago's most prominent ensembles, including the Chicago Symphony and the Chicago Lyric Opera Orchestra. She blogs about creating a meaningful practice at her website, Mind Over Finger, hosts the Mind Over Finger podcast, and travels throughout the United States giving masterclasses and clinics on the topics of mindful practice, audition preparation, and anxiety management. So Renee, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Thanks so much for having me, Christine. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you here. I I really enjoy your podcast. I think it's one of the most positive and inspiring musical podcasts out there. So I really appreciate you doing that and helping so many musicians with your expertise on just mental health and mindfulness and practicing. How did you get to where you are? Mm. Yeah, it's quite, it's a long journey. I've told this uh-huh. story many times, so if people are hearing it for the second time, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm from a family of musicians. I think that's not surprising. That often happens. And so for me, mindfulness started even before I knew what it was because my mom would practice with me. And mm. my mom was always really interested in, you know, the latest science and all of the information she would get. She was a music teacher. She was not a violinist, but she was a music teacher and also a kind of an entrepreneur, but more in the nonprofit world where she was always starting things. And, you know, um, she had a nonprofit music school that provided music education at a really low price to so many young kids. So you can see where <laughs> I'm getting some of yes. my, my, uh, my traits. And 
So I I would remember her just making me practice so mindfully, just very attentive to details, bringing my attention back, diligently following what the teacher said and, you know, kind of feeding me things such as, well, your brain is a computer. You just have to give it the right commands. And of course, I would roll my eyes and, <laughs> you know, like, oh, whatever. Uh, but this is how mindful and engaged practice was presented to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Subsequently, I started studying at the age of nine with a, a teacher who was just a ball of enthusiasm of love for, for music and uh-huh. who just was wonderful in communicating how amazing it was to play music, to make music. And he would just make me listen to all sorts of music and uh, have me just pay attention and be like, oh, do you hear this dissonance? How cool that is. And, you know, so just like kind yeah. of always making me see this as more than a bow going on the string making noise. You know, it was always just this wonderful universe. And I studied with him for many years. Let's fast forward to much later after my studies. I went to New World Symphony and three things significant happened there. I worked with Don Green. I started yoga and I started running. And all of these things coming together had a profound impact on how I approach life. Mm-hmm. And of course, being the nerd that I am, I kept finding things on the mat that made me think about whatever I had practiced that day, you know, just um, uh-huh. this principle of letting go here in this posture is the same as I was struggling with this passage and my practice today. I wonder how it would be like if I tried to, you know, all of these things. Yeah. And yeah. um then I was a professional dealing with taking auditions, interactions with colleagues, with stress, mm-hmm. with taking on too much. And then I started teaching. And I saw my students struggle and I was getting frustrated because I only had one hour a week with them. Right. And there's so much I wanted to teach them. Basically, the blog came from me just, you know, telling a student, Okay, so I we need to talk about shifting technique now, but I want to talk about this other thing. So I'll just write this email, send it to you, yeah, and read it because it's about why you're afraid of shifting or you know whatever something else. I forget what it was exactly, and then I would send it to all the students. And at the time, I was doing research for my doctoral studies, and I just became so focused. I was on this mission to find a way to teach these students how to practice efficiently. So the methods, but also the mindsets. Right. So how can I combine this in the way that is coherent, that they within four years, they can grasp it and they can get both from me the violin instruction they need, but also the mindset, technique, practicing, all of it that would help them be musicians and be more successful in creating the careers that they wanted. And so the blog started from this. And then I would have these amazing conversations with colleagues that I thought my students should hear. So I thought, oh, you know, these could be recorded and maybe I could start a podcast. So that's what Mm -hmm. I did. And then subsequently, I started coaching and, and that became more and more my passion to not just talk about someone to someone on how to shift, but why they're afraid of shifting. Mm. And went on this big journey of uh, getting certified as a life coach. And, you know, things are just 
keep unfolding. So it's kind of a, <laughs> a long answer to your question. But, you know, I think the biggest message is follow the breadcrumbs is what I say a lot. You know, in, in mm-hmm. the music career, there's so many things that are possible. You never know where it leads you. Yes. Like, that's amazing that you've been able to help so many people and that you were brave enough to follow those breadcrumbs. Was that scary for you to kind of shift into coaching and to go this 100%. direction? 100%. Yes. Because mm-hmm. even pressing publish on a podcast episode, it's vulnerable. It is. And writing a blog post and putting anything out there on the internet, you're sharing, hoping it will resonate with other people, but it also opens you up to criticism. And so for me, at some point, it became more important to get the message to the people for whom it would be helpful than to make sure everybody liked me and I never did anything right. that rubbed anyone the wrong way. So courage is the right <laughs> word because I really am a, a big introvert, actually. So it's, really? uh, yes, it's not an, <laughs> it's not an obvious thing for me to just no. put things out there. Well, and I think that really works well with music because as musicians, we're making ourselves very vulnerable. We're opening up a part of ourselves to an audience. And especially when we're doing auditions, there are people judging us. 100%. And what's hard is people will be judging us always, for sure, everywhere. And -hmm. what's tricky is to, we have to let go of this desire for that to change and just sort of be centered in who we are and accept that other people's judgment is more about themselves than about us. And we just Mm -hmm. have to keep doing what we want to do, what we want to express, because there are other people out there who are searching for that as well. So it's so difficult, but it's important. So now how would you define mindfulness? That's a big one. I think that I can go with all of the definitions, you know, John Kabat-Zinn and all of these people. And I think it's just (laughs) mindfulness in general, I would say, being in the present moment. Mm -hmm. But that can be so many things. So I think that the part that I really like, too, is the non-judgment part of it. So being in the present moment without judgment, just observing Mm -hmm. what is And I think that if we can, uh, one of my favorite expressions is meet ourselves where we are at all times. Okay. It just allows us to take in the experience that we are living in that moment. Okay. So now when you say without judgment, that means us not judging ourselves as we are doing something. Correct. We're kind of just life scientists trying, (laughs) trying things at all times, (laughs) trying our best. Just seeing what would happen. And I I actually have kind of a story about this. Long story. But I was an intern at a mental hospital helping girls with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And we would have to, we were talking about stress a lot. And we would hook ourselves up to a biofeedback machine where we had to learn how to slow down our heart rate. Yeah. And of course, as interns, we had to do everything that the girls were doing that we were working with. And so we would hook ourselves up to this heart rate. And the more we tried to lower our heart rate, the higher it would go and the worse we did in this you know, game. But when we just paid attention to our heart rate and just noticed it, it would go down. So is that kind of what you mean about the just like noticing what's happening and not judging what's happening? Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of these core mindsets in the framework that I teach, the deep practice model. So I have... Mm-hmm a practice 
methods, a way to approach problem and solve issues, and the three core mindsets that, of course, they interact all the time. Where is the separation between them? I'm not sure. It's always uh-huh. moving, but uh-huh. I have bare awareness, beginner's mind, and self-compassion. So it's that bare awareness of just observing what is mm. mm-hmm. without judgment. Right. Well, let's talk about the other two then. So you had the beginner's mind and self-compassion. Um, what what are What's kind of like a broad definition of what those are as well? Generally out there, there are so many definitions, you know, I, right, I, I'm not going to go there, but the way that I use beginner's mind is twofold. You know how they say like two wings of a bird? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this curiosity that beginners have this love that they have where they want to know everything. Right. And also the biggest experts talk about it at times that they themselves need to just humble themselves back to being a beginner so that they don't get rigidly stuck in ways of doing things so that they go back to, okay, what's lesson number one with this? I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so for me, it's this mix of curiosity, of joy, of of staying engaged, staying excited about it, staying mm-hmm. connected to why we're doing it, the joy of doing it, the love of music. Uh, for me, I mean, it, it's hard to describe, but I just love to make sounds with the violin, something highly mm-hmm. satisfying with it. Mm-hmm. So when I'm frustrated, if I just go back to this, that's pretty cool. I'm making some sounds with that stuff. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so the, this kind of love that we have for it, and at the same time, going back to the basics, monitoring the fundamentals. Because I talk about shifting a lot because I think that shifting is maybe a concept that goes across instruments, you know, big gaps in a piano keyboard or same with wind instrument. But let's say you're struggling with a big jump between two notes and it's easy to go in your expert mode and say like, oh, okay, the arm gesture or all of these things. But, you know, are you breathing? Mm-hmm. How is your posture? And oftentimes we're not succeeding at, you know, accomplishing the gesture that we're trying to accomplish because we're not breathing and we're tense. Right. Or our posture is crooked. But our brain, because we're experts, goes to some complicated way of solving it right away. So right. slow down. How's your posture? Are you breathing? Okay. Lesson number one, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> uh, what notes are you playing? How, how often I ask a student, what position are you trying to go to and they don't know? Mm. So let's start there. How about that first? <laughs> let's figure out what note are you trying to play? What position are you doing? <laughs> are you breathing? Okay. Now that we've got some of those basics, let's get more complex. So for me, the beginner's mind is, is this mix of enthusiasm, monitoring the fundamentals, and just keeping it very, you know, simple before we go complex. Yes, absolutely. And then with all of that, I think the self-compassion to me seems like it would just be sort of interweaved with all of it because you have to be kind to yourself. Yes. That's why I say there is no line between them because to be self-compassionate, you have to start observing your emotions and your feelings. So you need their awareness for that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the curiosity from beginner's mind to explore all of this. And I think that self-compassion gets a bad rap because people feel that when we're saying be self-compassionate, we're saying lower your standards. And that's Mm -hmm. not what I mean. You can have very, very high standards but you 
don't have to hate yourself through trying to reach higher skills on your instrument. It's mm -hmm. actually very counterproductive to have a lot of negative language for both what it creates in terms of mental tension and chaos and physical tension. I was just having a conversation this morning with a colleague as how incredibly connected the body and the mind are. And you just said that, right? If you try to mm -hmm. focus on your heart rate and slow it down, it actually speeds up. And I think that it's the same thing with self beratement. I don't know if that's a word in English, but the opposite of self-respect. Yeah. If you're berating yourself, you're going to create a lot of mental clutter, mental chaos, mm -hmm. and that will show up in your body in the form of physical tension. You're not going to breathe as well. Um, right. Rigidity, all of those things. So self-compassion for me is not a luxury. It's not something that is uh, implying in any way that we're not striving for more, but we're just doing it in the way that is actually much more aligned and much more efficient and mm -hmm. much more fun. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. If it's so much more efficient to practice this way, why don't we do that all the time? Why are we so hard on ourselves? Mm, I think now I'm kind of putting my my life coach hat on because this oh. is an incredible <laughs> journey, but uh, especially the philosophy that I follow is thoughts create our feelings and feelings generate our actions. And mm -hmm. I think that the goal is never to control your thoughts and generate the proper thoughts, but to get uh -huh. curious and observe what you're thinking. So I think that we go there because a lot of conditionings that we've had from our past from mm -hmm. our family culture, from our culture in general, from our teachers, from what we see others around us do, colleagues. Um, mm -hmm. And by colleagues, I mean, if you're in youth orchestra in fourth grade, whoever's sitting next to you is your colleague. So right, right. <laughs> all of these things influence what we're thinking. And also, right. I think the brain is at all times trying to do its best. It's trying to do what's, you know, what it thinks is keeping us safe and thriving. And it offers thoughts constantly because we're human. So we can't be angry for all of the thoughts we're having, all the negative thoughts we're having, because it's just our brain really trying to do its job. Uh -huh. But if we start to have some ways of observing those thoughts when they come and not judging them again, Accepting Not them. like, oh, that's a bad thought or, oh, that's a, yeah, we shouldn't yes. be doing that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think it's the labeling. The mm. labeling of thoughts, the labeling of people, the labeling of circumstances is really detrimental to us. So, so when we catch ourselves in the act of saying something bad to ourselves, we can just observe it. That alone, it gives us a moment of pause and it already mm -hmm. just by observing it, it diffuses it. Oh, do you have an example of that? Yes. I think that, so a concrete example could be, even in the conversation I had yesterday, we were talking about how she was thinking about this next audition coming up and how mm -hmm. she's not going to get it. Oh, okay. And we just stayed with that. We didn't try to change what she was thinking, but we were just seeing what thinking that did to how she was feeling. And then, you know, when she feels sort of discouraged from thinking that, you can imagine the type of behavior you're going to have in the practice room and outside the right. practice room when that's the one thought that that you're thinking, but you're, you're sort of, it's with you. You're not really noticing it. 
Uh-huh. It's kind of like we don't notice that our nose in the middle of our face. Right. But it, you know, we we breathe through it all the time. Oh, that's a good analogy. I've never used that before. But I want to do it again. <laughs> so so it's like that thought, let's say that thought is like your nose. So everything you inhale goes through it and is filtered through through it, you know. And then all of a sudden, by just observing that thought, she was realizing that, oh, this is possible. It's possible I'm not going to get it. But it's also possible that I could get it. Oh. Both things are possible, but I focus only on the one where it's not possible and that makes me feel discouraged. Gotcha. So to just noticing that was already fe- making her feel lighter. Yeah. And instead of labeling, oh, that's a bad thought. Don't think that. Don't think that. And then all you're doing is thinking about it. Yes. And so not only... Not only are you thinking you're not going to get it, but then you're also thinking, I'm thinking this bad thought. And it's just this cycle of negative. Because then you're judging yourself, which makes you feel what everyone feels when they're judging themselves. Right. And that starts another cycle and another cycle. And But when we start and pause and observe these thoughts without changing them, without judging them, just noticing when I think that I feel this way. And then what I think is so beautiful is that we make so much sense. It's like, of course I'm feeling this way. Of course I'm not practicing and I'm procrastinating. Right. Because I'm thinking that and it makes me feel discouraged. Of course. I make so much sense. And then we don't feel like, you know, we're giving ourselves this understanding as to why we're doing things and why we're feeling certain feelings. For me, Mm -hmm. I find it so liberating because it's like, oh, I'm not crazy. Anyone would feel this way if that's the thought that was running in their head. Right. Gives you some self-validation. Yeah. I'm not talking about positive affirmations that we don't believe. That is not the solution. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. The first step is just to notice what we're thinking. We don't even have to change it. Well, that would take a huge amount of time at first. I'm just thinking about myself. And if I have this thought, I could see myself taking almost an entire practice session Like, why am I feeling this way? But it sounds like this is kind of like a skill that you can practice. And as you practice it, then it helps every aspect of your musical life. Yes. When I discovered that framework, I was like, wait a second, this is really helpful. That's that's why I ended up getting certified because it is possible to process it on a piece of paper in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating. (laughs) Well, let's kind of gear this towards some of the musicians that I've been talking with. And so during the pandemic, their lives were uprooted very much so. And, you know, we're going on in the third year of this. The first year, everyone was just kind of all figuring it out. Everything was closed down. If you were a teacher, you were teaching online, and maybe you had tons of students coming, wanting to take lessons, and many musicians had kids at home that they had to now be school teacher as well as musician, and and others used that time to either create music or record that album that they've always wanted to do. And then in 2021, you know, some people were able to start going back. Other people still couldn't. It was just kind of in flux for the whole year. And now we're in 2022. And it seems that 
it's expected to go back to the way life was. And people are having trouble with that because for some of them, their relationship with music in general has changed due to these last few years. And they're finding trouble rekindling that love of music. Is this what they want to do even? Or maybe the thought of doing auditions is just overwhelming to them. Like how can mindfulness help them as they're going through this year of transition and as change and starting over? It's such a good question. I find that sometimes life has such a funny way of trying to reestablish balance. Yes. (laughs) And I was talking about it with a friend over the weekend on how for her reintegrating was difficult Mm -hmm. because she had been on the go so much. Go, 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 go. It's almost as if you live on adrenaline all the time. And you keep doing it because that's what you do. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic happened and then all of a sudden there was time and mm-hmm. it was really scary, of course, but, of course, yes. you know, some people figured out ways to make sure that they didn't go without the, the, the basic um, needs and, but having this time to think mm-hmm. and realize all of the things that they don't like about right. the way that their life was and not sure how they want to you know, go about going forward. But at the same time, it's it's what you said. Things are going back to the way they were. So, right. or, you know, orchestras are picking up exactly where they left off right. and, and things are restarting. But I think that people lost their momentum a little bit. Yes. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because there could be a way to see how to get it back in a way that is more aligned. And I think that's that's what I'm trying to figure out again because that was exactly my complaint <laughs> to my husband. I was like, oh, I just want to perform, but it was so nice to be home too. Yes. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> I live in Chicago, so this heavy commute is not mm. amazing, you know. Right. But you yes. make do. You listen to podcasts and yeah. audiobooks and all of this. <laughs> but and, Okay, and then the other thing that we don't talk a lot about is that changing thing is hard. Yes. So if anyone wants to change the way their career works, mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. I don't have an easy solution for anyone. Right. But I think that sometimes that's the problem is our lives were created without a lot of planning. Mm-hmm. We just, to use my own expression, we followed the breadcrumbs and this job and this job and this job and and we created the lives that we had. So, and I'm not saying everyone. I just know that for me, sometimes I was just opportunities would show up and then I would say, of course, I can't say no. Right. Of course. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. It, because saying no is hard. Right. And it's scary because you think if I say no, what if nothing else comes? Right. So we're afraid of shutting doors, but sometimes in life that's, that's what we need to do. Um, so there is, I don't think there's any easy way, but I think that if we can find, I'll go again with that word alignment. Mm-hmm. If we can find uh, an alignment within ourselves going forward. And I should specify, when I say alignment, I don't talk about waiting until we feel great to do something. But I, I'm talking about connecting with our values connecting with how we want to show up in the world, understanding what the things we can do to create that for ourselves and and doing those things. 
Mm-hmm. For me, that's alignment. I don't know if I have a good answer to your question because it's going to be so different for everyone. And right. I'm not sure it's going to be easy for anyone either. Yeah. It probably won't be easy for anybody as they're as they're shifting and as they're changing. And I think it's important to know that it's okay if this time is difficult and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yes. You know, without judgment, it's just a thing. You know, it's going to be difficult and you're going to have to realign. And as you kind of, I guess I'm just taking all the words that you're saying. So as we observe like how we're feeling in doing all of these things um, without judgment and realize there's nothing wrong with us if we're having trouble, we can still love music and still want to be a part of music and it can still be hard. It can still be hard to transition back into life or maybe our lives have changed and we'd go in a different direction and there's nothing wrong with that as well. Yes. And you know, something you said just made me think, I think that Maybe we're trying to hurry the transition Mm. so we can give ourselves space as well. So there's nothing wrong with going back with how things were and not liking it and giving us time to figuring out if that's still what we want. We don't have to make difficult decisions. You know, we can give ourselves time. And Mm -hmm. what you said is absolutely right to not judge ourselves and understand that what we're going through is so normal. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have a lot of thoughts about it. <laughs> <laughs> you also have this music mastery experience for people who are wanting, you know, some extra help. What Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Why would a performance coach be helpful to somebody, to, uh, to a musician? Mm-hmm. Why... Why would someone seek someone out like you? <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I have to say, I entered the world of coaching several years ago when I hired my first coach, and I really started to see how it profoundly changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I invested, I couldn't believe it. It's like, oh, I'm spending $800 on this program. (laughs) A little sticker shock. (laughs) It felt like such a big decision. Uh And I just was so amazed by the transformation it created in me over time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had worked with Don Green and saw what working with him did for me. And I realized that uh, even throughout my doctorate, there were times where I needed the help of a tutor because I had young children. That's the other thing too, is I had very young children when I was doing my doctorate. And I thought, I don't have five hours to figure out this thing that in class, the teacher said, you all know this. So let's move on to chapter two. And I was like, wait, I don't know this. <laughs> you know, so, oh. um, so I worked with a tutor and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like Mm -hmm. I spent one hour with him and I've just saved seven hours of agony trying to read those chapters and understand this material on my own. That's what coaching has done in my life is it has shown to me my thoughts. Mm -hmm. It had challenged me to doubt my self-imposed I know limiting beliefs is such an overused word, but it, it that's what it is. Sometimes you just need someone to tell you after you said, oh, you know, I just have to do this. You just need someone to say, but do you really? Just that question. Do you really? For me, at times, it made me do incredible things mm-hmm. because it showed me that I didn't have to believe everything I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
in the music mastery experience, it's an interesting combination because I am a performance coach too. Mm -hmm. And I want to help people practice better and use the deep practice model to learn things faster. And so I combine practicing methods and systems, uh, how to prepare for audition, how to perform at your best. I have professionals that want to enjoy playing more, just experiencing flow in performance and save time because they have kids and they have commute. So it's all of these things, but then it's all of coaching as well. So Mm. the conditioning for performance is not just playing notes in the practice room. It's so much more than that. I kind of see it as three pillars. So you have the preparation and you have what I call the conditioning. Mm-hmm. And then there are all of the mindsets, the the life coaching, self-confidence and confidence, which are actually mm-hmm. not the same thing. Um, hmm. How to make decision, how to feel aligned, how to go after big, crazy dreams, all of these things. Um, so the Music Master Experience is all of that in one uh, one program. And I'm doing something different because I always fall in love with my participants. And mm-hmm. it used to be three months. And at the end of three months, everybody was so excited and had such momentum. And the container itself is so special. I keep it very small, mm-hmm. usually no more than 20 people. And we have a lot of coaching and uh, opening our feelings to each other and being vulnerable and growing together. And then the program would end with our final performances and then that was it. We Everybody would go back to their lives and I had 20 more trainings living in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so finally I thought, let's just make this a forever thing. So so this year when people sign up, they're, they're in forever. Yeah. So we're going to just keep going. <laughs> oh, wow. How is that going to work? I don't like, know. Are you... <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> your your net is just going to grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what I hope. It, it really feels like a family. So I think that yeah. maybe a year from now, we'll add more members to our family and join our journey. And the first three months is kind of a summer intensive where we cover, we transform how we practice, how we prepare mm-hmm. for performance. We have a experience project where I challenge mm-hmm. people to really decide on something that they don't quite believe is possible. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, it's going to happen. I have, I'm putting you down for this concerto by memory, August 31st, you're on. <laughs> and <laughs> sure enough, it happens. And then after that, we're going to keep going with monthly trainings and coachings and guest experts wow. and maybe a book club. I don't know. It's just going to be <laughs> a big on. Because that's the thing is, there are so many things that at times were afraid of sharing with our colleagues. We're afraid right. of talking about so many things by fear of looking vulnerable or not strong right. enough or not able to handle it. But the thing is, we're all going through the same things. Yes. And people just need a place where they can talk about it with like-minded mm-hmm. people. And right. we, can all go, we can all grow as musicians supporting each other. Right. Having that support system is just, it's so key to everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's thats what kind of the music mastery experience is. Trainings, coaching systems, methods, practice charts, <laughs> but life coaching and a really, really great community. And then now it's for life. So 
Wow. So exciting. That's amazing. I think that's wonderful that you're helping so many people and so many musicians. As we finish up here, is there any advice that you would give to young musicians that are just starting out in their journey and they're, you know, they have this whole wide world ahead of them before they get stuck into some less than helpful habits? Do you have any advice for them? Yes, 100%. I would say when, first of all, when we're in school, we sort of have this mentorship Mm -hmm. and we have the community and the, the context and the container is mm-hmm. kind of provided. But as you leave that container, it can be very scary. So I would say, of course, get a coach. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have I have many coaches myself. I get coached every week all the time. And I don't think I'll ever stop. Um, but it's a mix of it, what I tell my clients is follow the process and trust yourself. You can't mess it up. I actually had that put on the sticker for them. So, (laughs) you know, if you're working with a teacher, try everything they say. Record Mm. your lessons and listen to them many times. And now I didn't do this as much as I should have, of course. So you don't have to be like me. (laughs) You can be better. Record your lessons. Um, Use all of their resources. You know, if there are concerts, go to concerts. And if you live in the city where the symphony offers discount on tickets, like try to go all the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. If your teacher tells you to read a book, read the book. Mm. If they tell you to practice a certain way, do it. But also, I don't want to say second guess it, but also keep in mind that this is someone's advice and that Mm -hmm. you want to give it your best. And at the same time, absorb it uh, in a very conscious way and make it work for you. Yes. The other thing is people complain a lot about all of the things they don't learn in school. Mm -hmm. And of course, they can't teach you everything in four years. It's just not possible. Right. So don't be angry at your school for the things they didn't teach you because truth is most students don't even take advantage of all the things they could get while they're in school. So first of all, Take what you're supposed, you know, do what you're supposed to do. Take everything you can while there are all the resources. But then ask yourself what you want in life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how it was for me. I want to be a violinist. Well, what what should I do? I should go to school and I should do this. And, uh, oh, they did that. Oh, okay, I'll I'll do that too. But Mm -hmm. things are no longer like that. You have so much agency over your life. So ask yourself, where do you want to live? How do you want to live? And is there a way you can make that happen? And then if there are skills you don't have, take it upon yourself to to get those skills somehow. Mm. To really, really take ownership of their learning experience and the building of their career. So I, love I think it. that would be my piece of advice. That's fantastic advice. Dr. Renee Paul Gautier, you are amazing. And I hope that everybody listens to your podcast because you go into this in so much more detail. And I wish you all the best with your the music mastery for life experience. I love it. I think it's, <laughs> I love I it. think it's great. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. But thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time and talking to me about this really important topic. I'm sure it's going to help lots of people. 
Thank you so much for having me, Christine, and thanks for everything that you do. I think that bringing more mindfulness to musicians is so essential right now. Mm -hmm. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. A very special thank you to Dr. Renee Paul Gautier for sharing her expertise, encouragement, and advice with us. If you'd like to learn more about mindfulness and Dr. Gautier's coaching or the music mastery experience, check out her website and blog at mindoverfinger.com. You can also follow her on Instagram or Facebook, or you can listen to her podcast, which is also called Mind Over Finger. Now, this is a really important topic, and I could use your help getting it to the people who need to hear it. So please, please share this episode with anyone that you think could use a little more mindfulness or alignment in their lives. In today's episode, you've heard Dr. Gautier performing Bordel by Astor Piazzolla, along with guitarist Andrew Ma. Musicians vs. the World is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. You can also help us out by leaving us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for others to find us. Also, if you're more of a visual person and are interested in seeing our faces, you can now find us on YouTube on our Musicians vs. the World channel. If you need to reach us, we would love to hear from you. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. We read every message and read every email sent to us, and we appreciate all of the encouragement and great letters that we've already received. But thanks so much for listening today. Stay safe and have a great day.